Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Glad to have you aboard. As we venture into the uplands, uh, chasing after a good-looking dog, right? That's the whole point. Yeah, but we've got some great advice for you on good-looking dogs and some that they call ugly dogs. George DaCosta, pro trainer and now new author, will be joining us to talk about his book, Tips and Tales on Training Your Bird Dog. We'll also talk chucker hunting, uh, wire-haired pointing griffons, his specialty, and a little bit of everything else it has to do with, well, the stuff you and I love to do. So stick around for that. I asked a question recently on our newsletter that I think you'll be interested in learning more about the results. Yeah, where does your dog sleep on a hunting trip? And then... We'll build a dog training tool for better steadiness. I picked this up from my good friend, Bob Ferris, who, uh, who's kind enough to share so many useful tips with me. This one will help your dog with steadiness in a way that, well, nothing else can. So uh, get ready for that. Uh, it's all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport, and Hi-Viz Shooting Systems. See what you've been missing. Well, speaking of steadiness, that's what Flick and I are still working on. You know, you own a pointing dog, that's almost a lifelong commitment, this steadiness thing. But we're refining it, and Click, Flick is, he continues to amaze me uh, with his, I don't know what to call it, his tolerance for my foibles. As I've said before, I've, you know, I've got a pen full of pigeons, and what I'll do a lot of times, he says, we're working on the fall part of wing shot and fall. I'll wing clip a bird, I'll bring out a couple birds that fly, and then I'll bring out a wing clip bird all at the same time. Uh, fly the fly the good birds and then lob out uh, and sort of fly the wing clip. Hopefully, Flick is holding still the whole time, and he is even to gunshots now. <laughs> but it's funny. I, I got to start working on this a little bit more carefully, I guess. Uh, the last couple times, um, the 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 flying birds haven't flown very far, and I've had to go and chase him around a little bit which i guess is good practice for flick steadiness and then the clip birds fly too far yeah the the upshot is i'm running around out there with birds on the ground which is another thing i'm trying to steady flick on and it seems to be working in spite of my best i mean worst efforts um maybe you've had a training experience or a training career like that, I should ask George DaCosta about it when we get to talking to him about dog training. Oh, well. <laughs> Once he's trained, or even if he's not all the way trained, you're taking your dog hunting and on those overnight trips. I'm really curious, because I go back and forth on this too. Maybe you do too. Where does your dog sleep? I asked that question in the newsletter a while back. And if you're not getting the newsletter, go to findbirdhuntingspots.com and, and sign up for it. I promise not to inundate you with other garbage like those other guys do, trying to sell you crap every every day. Yeah. No, you get the good stuff on the Upland Nation, in, the Upland Nation Insights newsletter and, and, and not a bunch of garbage in between. Anyway, your dog sleeps in interesting places. 
when you're on a hunting trip. 21% of you said he sleeps in his own bed in the room, the tent, the RV with you. Uh, another 24% said in his crate in the room, tent, RV. Uh, 13% of you said in the back of the truck in his crate. 18% of you said what I usually say on my bed with me until he pushes me off. And then uh, the far-thinking, brilliant types in the crowd, 23% of you said, my dog sleeps wherever he wants. He did all the hard work. Yeah, absolutely true. Well, remember, he does do all the hard work, and he does it while running barefoot. So treat him right before and after the hunt. Thanks for being a part of the Upland Nation by ask, you know, answering those questions in the, in the newsletter, by the way. Uh, we're brought to you in part by ProPlanSport.com. That's Purina's athlete food. Yeah, for your dog, that is. It contains omega-3 fatty acids and glucosamine to help support joint health and mobility during training. Yeah, most of the year and throughout their life. You know, it also contains DHA. That helps nourish brain and vision health. Yeah, especially when it comes to hunting. So learn more about all the formulations at ProPlanSport.com. And learn about all the stuff you can take along, whether it's dog beds or ammo at MidwayUSA.com. Everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors. Yeah, I've been walking the uh, Sporting Clays course uh, here in town a lot over the weekends, trying to find all the birdie-looking targets and just shoot at them. But I get to thinking about all the things that I'm carrying and wearing from MidwayUSA.com, from my boots to my ammo to the shirts I'm wearing these days. It's all available right there at Midway usa.com customer satisfaction is their number one goal well i got the book i read it through and through enjoyed the heck out of it and uh this guy has something for everybody i want you to welcome to the upland nation podcast author pro dog trainer chucker hunter and owner of wire-haired pointing griffon so we're almost cousins george DaCosta. thanks for <laughs> joining me uh thanks for having me i, I appreciate you having me on uh yeah. hopefully your your uh your listeners will enjoy it also yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it, there there are only two degrees of separation when you get into the bird dog and bird hunting world, and, and that's all we got here. It's it's incredible how much we have in common, uh, well, with just about everybody. But it's been, a, it's been a Griffon week for me. I was at my favorite watering hole a few days back, and a Griffon puppy was carried in, and so, of course, we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, and carried in was the operative term because you know as well as I, a young dog shouldn't be rooting around on the ground where all that parvo is, right? Yes, yes, exactly, yep. And, yep. and so the other guy that comes up and starts loving on that puppy has a 10-year-old Griffon. So perfect timing. Uh, welcome to the club. Here we are. 
George, let's start with um, with with the book. Okay. You know, uh, I asked a lot of people who I should talk to who's got a good book out, and and your name came up more than once, and and uh, and and. What I know why I write books is to get it off my chest so I can move on to something else. <laughs> what about you? Why did you write a book? That, um, interesting question. Um, I was doing magazine articles for a number of different, you know, outdoor magazines and such. And I have, I do a lot of session work with clients where clients come in from out of state and locally and I work with, with the clients and their dogs. And many times I'm training the clients more than I am the dogs. Yeah, but don't and, ever don't ever turn the collar up past about six. <laughs> I always I have a lot of clients asking if they can use my training techniques with collar work on their children, but yeah. yeah, that's not where you want to go with that. But um uh a lot of them have said and you know I'm paraphrasing here, but have said, you know, you you talk to me like you're my friend, you talk to me like you're not trying to put me down and that you know more than I do. And you make me feel like I can do it. You make me feel comfortable that I, that I can do it. This is not rocket science. And, and I really wish you would put some of this stuff, stuff down in writing so I could refer back to it and so on and so forth. So that kind of generated the book um, years ago that, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this stuff in writing for my clients and for people. And also for me, you know, I'm, I'm on the fourth quarter of life and getting up there a little bit. And uh, it's nice to leave something behind that might help people. Probably more importantly for me, might help pups and dogs. So kind of leaving something behind. So that kind of generated me thinking, yeah, I'm going to do the book. And that's what that's why I did it. Well, it's been enjoyable for a lot of reasons. We'll get deeper into that very soon. But first off, you know, you started out as a basically a bird dog guy who loved hunting. Uh, yep. I'm presuming you still do. <laughs> That's exactly right. I am. I am a bird dog guy that loves to hunt first. Um, training, uh, testing, field trials, judging—all that came as a supplement for the off season. I'm. I'm first and foremost a hunter. I love watching dogs, especially pointing dogs out in the field. I. I I'm to this day. I was talking to somebody the other day. To this day, whenever I see a point and I come up on a dog, I don't care when, where, or how, I'm as thrilled today as I was 45 years ago plus, you know. Um, I just love it. And I love I love working as a team with the dogs, and I love watching the dogs, and I love the outdoors. So, yeah, first and foremost, I'm still an a, a avid hunter and, a, and a, a partner with my dog. Uh, what do you, uh, I, you're over there in Idaho. Uh, yep. so, um, uh, I'm waving at you. you can, if you stand up and lean to the left, you can see me waving at you, yeah, um, yeah. um across the great basin. But, uh, what, what do you love to hunt most being over there? I, I know it's a loaded question. It sure is a loaded question. I will say that I, I grew up loving quail hunting. I hasn't hunted and quail hunted. Quail hunting is my favorite because, uh, you know, you get the cubby flush and then you get the singles and the doubles and it's good dog work and all that stuff. Um, so I, I still enjoy quail hunting very much. In fact, I travel to Kansas, Oklahoma for Bob for Bob White Quail and I'll go down to Arizona and do a lot of quail hunting around here. But having said that, um, the chucker hunting, where I'm sitting right now in my main house, I'm looking out and I've got the Wahis in front of me and I've got um, 
well, a whole bunch of different chucker hunting areas, 360 all the way around me. So I have the availability to chucker hunt a lot. And I do, and it's similar to the quail hunting where you have the cubby flushes and then you have the singles and the doubles. It's just a heck of a lot more work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the understatement of the day. You know, yeah, but, yeah. but that's why we all go to the gym. Yes, yes, and hike and yeah. do, yeah. I, I, I prep every year. Um, so I'm starting to prep right now, actually, for uh, for this hunting season, for chucker hunting. Um, I do enjoy all aspects of Upland Game. Um, you know, I'll be doing a dove hunt on the first, right after the first is done here. My dove hunt will be in Weezer. I'm invited to a ranch from my friend uh, Carl, Way, Carl Ray and uh, another friend, Jim Girardelli, and We'll do a dove hunt, and then after the dove hunt, a few days after that, I'll be headed up to Montana for sharp tail and grouse, and then circle back around and uh, come back to hit some hunts, chucker and quail down here. So I, I love it all. I, I like to travel across the United States, meet people, meet new dogs, and and enjoy life. You know, that's yeah. You know, you know, uh, we are brothers from other mothers because yeah, uh, even your itinerary is almost identical to mine for the early part of the fall. I'll see you in Montana somewhere. Perfect. Um, what is it about uh, Chuckers that that trips your trigger? And I'm, I'll preface it by saying, here's what I love. First off, getting to the top without falling over is is really fun. Uh, <laughs> it's an accomplishment. But second off, from there, you see things you don't see anywhere else. And, and I mean everything from a golden eagle nest to uh, petroglyphs. What about you? Oh, all, all, all of the above plus. Um, I've taken some tremendous photos way at the top of, you know, where I'm chucker hunting. They're just, it's just breathtaking. You just stop and just, you know, how blessed we are, how blessed I am to live in an area like this in a country like this where I can do this and see this. Um, so yeah, that, everything about it, I love where I'm hunting. I love the views that I'm hunting in. I love the stuff around me. Um, again, I like the bird work a lot. Where I hunt, I can I can run into chuckers and I can run into huns totally different. Usually yeah. huns are a, a different flush and a different you know, quick shooting and then the chucker will give me a different flush, maybe a delayed flush. Um, so I like the bird work. I like the dog work. Um, my dogs stretch it out. You know, people will say, well, you know, griffs, griffs are, are for older men or women. And <laughs> kind of right from right You can look down at my GPS and see my dog two or 300 yards out there often. Yeah. Um, and I like the dog work and I like that it keeps me young. I mean, you got to work to chucker hunt. Um, and so, I feel exhilarated um, being able to still walk 10 and 12 miles out there and, and um, keeping myself in shape and, you know, working with the dog. So everything about it. Um, and I'm going to do it as long as I can. And I'm going to keep doing it. So, cause once I stop, I may not be able to get back as it is yeah. it's a lot harder than the most other hunting that I've done. You know, other people do other things. So, well, um, Let's talk a little bit about about it because everybody seems to be real interested in this as a bucket list bird or because they're hardcore like us. Um, what's what is one of your strategies for chucker hunting that maybe we haven't thought about that we we might want to try this season? I'm being selfish. I admit it. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I, I I don't know. I don't have any secrets. I've already been out scouting. Yeah. Um, traveling around, so I've already been out. Uh, look for springs, use your onyx. Um, yeah. 
you know, try to go from spring to spring or water. Um, I hunt with a couple of guys that can walk like crazy. I mean, just they can, they can, they can. I've always been a walker and I hunt a lot by myself, but I hunt with a couple other guys regularly. And so sometimes positioning yourself to force the birds to go back and forth, you know, to yeah. one another. Um, I bought, I've had a UTV for a long time and I just bought another one because I'm, it's getting more and more popular. Chucker honey is getting more and more popular. So I have no problem driving the Jeep out and walking out, but now I'll, I'll haul the UTV, get a little further out and start my walk. But I, I get out there a ways. I, I try to get out there a ways and I think, you know, that helps also. Um, uh, you know, other than that, it's, it's, oh, another thing I'll mention is my dogs, uh, especially CK, he's, he's a chucker hunting machine. Um, he will hunt the hills for me a lot. I, I will be able to walk and, and hunt and watch him go up and down. And once he starts finding birds, I will look at where he's at on, on the hill. Is yeah. he on top? Is he? And then I will try to hunt that elevation as much as possible. Um, so you find him at that elevation. And of course, the, of course, there's cheatgrass and sage and rocks and the other stuff that you look for that everybody looks for. Um, you know, I don't think I'm sharing any secrets. It's just uh, uh, time in the field and working and 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 uh, having a good dog is real important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so go ahead, tell me some secrets because I'm I'm open to yours. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, you used up all mine. That's all I got. No, but, but you know, you you talked about something that I uh, I learned a long time ago, and and the way we do it, uh, the, and I'm, I'm curious to know how you do it. And that is, uh, you said you know if you have some friends and you're hunting together, you know you push birds back and forth. Um, we would side hill, and the guy on the high side would be 50 yards ahead of us. So birds running up might run into him first and they'll come back down or vice versa. Uh, when they fly from up there, they're going to come down. They almost always fly downhill. So the guy below gets a little bit more shooting. Whether it's good or not is another question. Do you, uh, or do you have other ways to you know, kind of move those birds around if you got another hunting partner or two? Well, basically exactly what you said. That's why I said I have two guys that walk really, really well. Uh, my friend Gary Namola, he used to be a uh, extreme mountain climber. And if, if the if the birds are up on the hill on a cliff, he's going. And I, I yeah. just can't make it that far up. So we do basically what you just said. Um, and um, he'll walk up in front and he'll walk and I'll try to get him. And many times I'll flush him back up. You know, because they'll come down, I'll flush them back up. Um, So that happens. But another thing that we do sometimes is is try to work a little smarter, whereas we'll do that, you know, the double walk with somebody up the hill and somebody down the hill. But sometimes we'll look at an area and go, okay, this is a long, long hunt. And this ridge starts up here, but it ends way down there. So we'll take one UTV, yeah. drop it down at the end, drive way back, and then be able to hunt that without having to walk 12 miles in and 12 miles back up. So we'll do that too. So that's a, another thing to consider doing if you have somebody to hunt with that has two UTVs. Yeah, we started um, doing that a couple of years ago on Huns. There's, there's some spots that I, I go to. Thank you, Felton, by the way, uh, where there's Huns, and they're at the other end of a long walk like that. So we're starting to spot a 
uh, vehicle down at the other end as well when we can. It, it seems to work. You know, the other thing that we've done, and, and it, check me on this, I find, I've, especially chuckers, but the quail too, uh, when they're up higher, uh, are in little bowls or on saddles, uh, you know, between two ridges, things like that, little low spots. And you can do what, what we've been doing a lot in South Dakota these days, and that is, okay, if, 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 if that bowl is yay big, put, put guys on a couple other corners. You've got to be careful about how you shoot, but, mm-hmm. but you cut off some of the escape routes. Sure. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll have guys walk around the bowl. Yeah. As we, as we walk. Yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. I want to say something about the Huns just because I marked it down when you said Huns. I yeah. train a lot of dogs and a lot of young dogs. And um, in this area, I I don't recommend – we have pheasants here and things of that nature. I don't recommend your first birds be a pheasant on a young pup because you yeah. know how widely pheasants can be. But if they can get them on Huns – Hunts usually hold oh, yeah. and flush, you know, one time, boom, they're gone. That's really good for a young dog. So if you have a place where you can get your dog on hunts at the beginning of the year or your first few birds, you know, about planted birds or training birds, I think hunts are great for dog work, for young dogs. Oh, so I, I can't agree more. I mean, even for yeah. old dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even yeah. for old hunters. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's George DeCosta. George uh, has a book out now, Tips and Tales on Training Your Bird Dog. George, let's talk a little bit about the book. Um, I'm, I'm particularly intrigued with a chapter you call The Diamonds of Life, but but there's some others in here, and I want you to take me to school on on one of the most important things we try to train for, and that is steadiness. Um, before you joined us, I talked a little bit about what me and my dog are doing, to, especially to ensure that he's steady to the fall part of wing shot and fall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but how do you introduce the whole concept of steadiness? I know you have a chapter on woe, and I, yep. I, I believe that I'm safe to say that you, like many of us now, uh, teach woe, the verb, the command, as a, mm-hmm. an obedience command, separate and distinct from the natural pointing instinct. Am I on the right track there? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Woe woe and and uh, the recall command are my foundational commands for a young pup. That's basically yeah. what I start them on. Yeah. And I do, and then we're going to talk steadiness, but I'm, my, I'm going to just preface this by my woe command because my woe command starts, if I have a litter of puppies, my woe command starts when they start feeding out of the bowl because I have them wait in the pen and I, the, the, the pen doors close and I say, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I set the bowl outside of that. And then you have somebody open the, open the, the door and they can charge in towards the bowl, which I'm standing at when they're charging towards the bowl, I give my recall command. So at, at five weeks old or so, they're already hearing, whoa, they're already having to wait. And then they're, then they're hearing their recall command. But I do, I no longer use uh, a, a table for whoa and, and all that stuff. I do whoa from the get-go all day long before my, my dogs go in the house or out the house or in a crate or out of a crate. And then I do the additional formal training as we're moving around. I might do the woe post or I might do the half-hitch under. But yeah. by the time I get to steadiness, my dogs woe really, really, really well. Um, 
extremely well by the time I get to steadiness. And I say this because now I'm going to go into steadiness for you and answer your question. Well, but, but, but uh, let me let me just – I want to give you a kudo. Usually kudos are p- plural, but here's one for you. The idea of standing basically behind the bowl and then using the bowl as the ultimate food treat when you're teaching recall – Mm-hmm. I slapped mm-hmm. my forehead when you told me that. That is, <laughs> that, that is brilliant. <laughs> okay, good. We've got one out there already. Yeah, so, okay, so, so pat on the back for that. But uh, tell me more about um, steadiness. So steadiness, um, I like to teach backwards um, yeah. to, to what most people might do, and I'll give you the reason for that. So your dog is working a field, and it, and it goes – into making game so it's out there and it's excited because it's working a field and then it hits scent and it gets more excited because it's making game and the body language changes and you can see it amping up and then wham it slams onto a point now that's that's all pretty natural right there now staying there while the bird flushes and then explodes in the air and then hits the ground and waiting for you to release it that's not natural now you're getting into a lot of obedience so I don't like to teach that obedience stuff when the dog's all hyped up. But yeah. it's, I mean, it's worked itself into a frenzy. And then you're going to go against its natural um, instinct, which is to go get that bird when it's shot or when it takes off. Um, so what I do is I start my steadiness training totally away from the field work. I, I'll be in a field, but we're not working. I don't want the dog to make game have scent or anything. So yeah. I will – place my dog on woe, right? And then um, I'll come back to that. Let me just say this real quick about my training theology. And there's a, there's a lot of methods out there that work. So I'm just going to share you mine real quick before we get into that. I believe dogs are very smart, smarter than most people give them credit for. And I believe they're not most of the times, sometimes they're, but they're not trying to fail intentionally, especially if you're working with them in a positive manner and, and creating a team. So if I have my dog learn to learn where I show it or demonstrate what I want it to comply and get it to comply in whatever technique that takes and then reward it in, in its compliance with every word turns it on, pet on the back, rough housing, treat, whatever, and make its world better, then it'll want to do more things for me because it has learned that, hey, when, when I listen to him or her, and I comply, the world's a better place. Let's, let's, that's, this is great. So when I get into steadiness, that's already part of my dog's mentality. So uh, I put the dog on woe, and no dog's woed for, for many times. And um, I will then flush a bird in front of it, and the dog will be hyped up and ready to go. But if it moves at all, I'll just say woe, and then I'll pet it on the back from its neck back. I don't touch it on its head because that's my release command. So I'll yeah. softly pet it, yeah. you know, good boy, good girl, flush another bird, good boy, good girl, flush another bird, whoa, good boy, good girl. And basically we're desensitizing yeah. the dog yeah. to the flush. But we're also telling it, whoa, we're telling you to whoa so you stay here. You already know to stay here, right? You already know what whoa means. So now we're getting you used to seeing the bird flush and hearing the woe command with the flush and getting praised for it. Um, and then at some point, 
toss a bird or shoot a bird. I will hold the collar at that time. The bird hits the ground release. So the dog gets its reward by getting a bird in its mouth. Then I'll add gunfire to it. I will put the dog on whoa and I'll shoot the gun with nothing there. Boom, whoa, boom, whoa. Good boy, good girl, good boy. And I'll desensitize it to the gunfire. So yeah. that the gunfire becomes kind of a whoa command almost, say this, you know, so to speak. So now I've got the I've got the dog um, watching the birds fly away. I've got the dog used to the gunfire. Then I start shooting a few birds, and if I have to, I'll put a half inch on it to make it not go and let the bird drop. And when the when the bird actually hits the ground many times, I'll go, whoa, as it hits the ground. Again, I'll pet the dog. Good boy, good girl. Teach it some patience, then send it for the retrieve. So I get all that taken care of to where I've got the, the dog to where I can shoot, flush a bird, shoot a bird, the bird hits the ground, and I send my dog without the dog ever making game. Never getting a sense. So now the dog's rock solid on that. It's desensitized to guns, gunfire. It's desensitized to the fuss. It's desensitized to the fall. It knows what it's supposed to do. It understands that when I do this, he's happy. I'm happy. I get a bird in my mouth. I get some kind of reward, whatever it would be. This is great. Now I take the dog out and let it make game. And now it goes on point. And now I give it the woe command. Whoa. And if I have to, I might throw a quick half inch in it the first couple birds. And the whole scenario unfolds and the dog goes, Ha, I get this. We just put two and two together. I get this. And yeah. it's much yeah. easier than dealing with the dog all hyped up and trying to teach steadiness when it's all fired up on point. And I hope it, that makes sense. It does. And and I know I'm with you a hundred percent. Uh you know, you you in effect are are teaching uh teaching all the obedience aspects and then the last piece of the puzzle is that uh you know the, the scent if you will and the birdiness aspect but but everything else has been mastered you've proofed the dog to the obedience command and then yes. there's only one more thing left to learn and that is oh when i get whiff of a bird i stop anyway and now the boss yeah. says stay stopped Yep, exactly. And I, one thing I will do in between that is I will do some stop to flush with the collar. Yeah. Um, just a nick and a woe so yeah. the dog, you know, learns that. Um, and, you know, every, and again, this is my um, theology, every dog's different and every breed's different. You know, I, I train a lot of breeds. Some people train one breed, whatever it may be. I might have a pointer and then my next dog might be a Spinoni and then the yeah. next dog might be a Griff and then the next dog might be a Poodle Pointer or a Weimarummer. And not only are there some different nuances in those dogs, but I'm training two dogs right now that uh, Poodle Pointers came from Hawaii and they're from the same litter. They're totally opposite dogs. I mean, yeah. think wow. so every, every dog is different. And when I talk to people, um, well, yeah, I'll just kind of throw this out. I try to use what works for the dog and try not to ramp up the pressure on the dog until it's needed. And, and I'll just use this as something I tell my clients all the time. There's people out there on steadiness that, and this works, by the way, it works, um, that they take their dog out there and they've got a collar on it. And whenever that dog sees a bird flush, wham, they nail that collar on it. And yeah. when it gets on point, bam, they hit the collar when the bird flushes. And there's a lot of dogs that do really well on that. Stop the flush with the collar, and, and they know to whoa with the with the collar. Um, and when a bird flushes, if they move, whack, you hit them with the collar. That works great on a lot of dogs, and it is it is successful 
but it might not work so well on some dogs. Some dogs start blinking the bird, and some dogs start not taking a drive out. They start start taking a drive out of the dog. Some dogs will even shut down if you get a you know softer sense of the dog. It might even shut down. So I, I'm sorry, I get long winded. I, I use my my kids. I have four sons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. And if by the way, if I refer to you as a dog, my 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 boys know this, or anybody in my clinics, if I refer to you as a dog, it's a compliment because I respect <laughs> dogs a lot more than I do some some people. So are most people. So anyhow, okay, as um, long as they keep the collar below six. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I have um, four sons, and my son David, my oldest, I if I tell him not to go out the front door. He's just that kid. Okay, Dad, I won't go out the front door. If I tell my son Nick, don't go out the front door. Nick's at UC Davis right now. He's a brainiac. He's going to debate me. Well, why, why, why can't I go out the front door, Dad? Well, because there's something out there I don't want you to step in. Well, what is it? Why can't I walk around it? Nick, and I'm going explain to explain it to him and say, this is why don't go out the front door. Okay. Daniel, I'm going to say, no, don't go out the front door. And he's going to say, well, okay. And he's going to try to go out the front door. And I'm going to have to say, Daniel, don't go out the front door. I might even have him give him a tap on the on his forehead. I told you not to go out the front door. Michael is going to go out the front door. He's going to go out the front door. Michael and I are going to have it out on why not to go out the front door. Now, if I use the technique I have to use on Michael on David, David would be hurt. He'd be like, Dad, all you have to do is tell me. I wouldn't have gone out the front door. Same thing with the dog. If I tell the dog to whoa and it's going to comply and the steadiness is going to be super easy, I don't need to add the collar. I don't need to add the half itch. I don't need to add any pinch stuff. I don't need to pick it up and shake it. The dog got it and it understood. And it says, okay, I'm going to comply. Whacking that dog with a collar or jerking it with a, a pinch collar or doing that stuff can make the dog go, wow, you know, this is not fun. But if I have to go up to the collar or a half itch or whatever, I'll do what it takes to make the dog comply. We're a yeah. team, but I'm the yeah. quarterback. So that's my, my way of training. And so I'll work with each dog doing what needs to happen for that specific dog to comply and then reward it and make life fun so that it, it learns that, hey, this, this this was great. Okay, I got it. I got it. I'll comply now. You did have to whack me on the head, but now I got it. So yeah, so I hope yeah, that all yeah. makes sense. I uh, I I I had a gal who worked for me for years and years, and I I love her to death to this day. Uh, and she uh, she was married to a state trooper, and when you go to the academy, you learn what they call a continuum of force. Uh, and mm. in human terms, it's one thing, but in dog terms, it's another. So in dog terms, uh, the continuum of force uh, is is verbal, and then it proceeds to some sort of louder verbal, and then various physical manifestations from uh, from a collar jerk to a half itch to an electric collar, whatever it is. Like you said, mm-hmm. pick it up and shake, shake it. So you have this continuum. You start as yeah. far down on it as you can and use it as you need to, just like yeah. you described. You know, in exactly. humans, it's different. It ends up with a taser or something like that. But, uh-huh. but the idea of uh-huh. a continuum and having that repertoire of ways to um teach correct yes direct yep. Uh, yep. sounds like the key how do you how do you uh, how do you decide is it experimentation trial and error uh you, you described how you do it on four boys 
Um, on a dog that's just sitting there or you're working with a dog, uh, are there indications that say this dog needs to be way down at the laid back end and this one I, needs more? I basically, I start at the, at the way down always. Yeah, yeah. I will, I will give the low command, and then yeah. if it doesn't comply, then I'll throw a half inch on it. If yeah. it doesn't comply, then I'll go to the collar, pick it up and shake it, and then yeah. I'll go to the collar. So I always start at the lower end because if the dog complies at the lower end, why do I need to go any higher? Yeah. If I need yeah. to, I will. So that's how I pro- progress through the through the training. And the, the other thing I do is I, I used to teach martial arts for many, 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 many years. And I coined a phrase in my training that repetition creates an automatic response. That's kind of like how I do with my low sure, training. Sure, I get it. All, yeah, all that's just, yep. yeah. So that's what we're doing. We're just doing rep, reps again and again and again. Not too much. Not so that it gets boring or gets uh, to where the dog doesn't like to do it. You want to leave it wanting, but we're doing a number of reps and we're being very positive at the end. So whatever the dog complies to and whatever it took to make it comply was only what we needed. At the end of everything, it's enjoying itself. It's like, okay, I get it. Even, even at the low command, if you think at the, when the dog's a pup, it learns to wait for its food, but then it gets its food. It learns to wait to go outside but then it gets to go outside. It learns to wait to come out of its crate, but then it gets to come out of its crate. So you're kind of teaching it. If you comply, you get what you want in the long run, and we're both happy. And so that repetition of doing that all the time gets the, gets the uh, pup or dog to do it automatically. I, uh, when, it, when yeah. It, it's a matter of, uh, first off, a puppy, of course, needs almost immediate gratification. But then what, yep. you're, what you're describing is delaying the gratification longer and longer and longer. And, and that's what you want because the dog is up there on that ridgeline pointing a covey of chuckers. It's going to take you 10 minutes to hoof your way up that shale-covered slope. He's got to hold it that long. And that's the way you teach it, it sounds like. It is. And I'll give you a, a quick tip on... On that right there, this is a, you know, I have a whole bunch of stuff on common mistakes, but a common mistake on a dog that points and you want it to hold, first of all, you, you know, if you want to teach it to be steady to flush when you shot and fall, that absolutely helps. But a mistake that I see a lot when I'm working with clients in the field is that the dog will hit a hot spot or go out and point and go for it. I don't care. But it's, you know, it's not on a bird. You know, there's not a dog or a bird planted there. And they call their dog off. Uh-huh. They go, uh-huh. no, come here. All right, come on. And they call their dog off. I have all my clients, if a dog goes on, if a dog or puppy goes on point, I don't care what it's pointing. You walk all the way to that dog, whether it's two fields out or 40 yards out. Yeah. And you pet it and you pet it. Whoa, good boy. Good girl. You look for a bird. You know, there's no bird. And then you release your dog and the dog finds out there's no bird. Same thing, I mean, they find a bird, so on and so forth. But what you're doing is you're building confidence in that dog that you'll show up. If it goes on point, you will show up, and, and then you get a bird. So that's a mistake I see a lot. If that dog goes on point, get to that dog. Let it know that, you, that you're trusting it. You're trusting its nose. You're believing in the dog. And whatever it takes, you'll get to your dog, and they'll hold point longer on those chuckers. I love that, uh, and and I want to a- ask you the the next crucial crucial aspect of that is when you're there and you found no bird, 
Um, do you just release your dog or do you walk them away at heel in a different direction? I've loved that idea. I've seen it in field trials. I've seen it in hunt tests. The idea of never letting your dog just barrel into that spot, but to go away and get somewhere else before you release them. You, you try that? No, I know. I do too. That's two separate things. Yeah. One is for testing. One is for hunting. Mm-hmm. So if so, here's the difference, uh, in my opinion. I always pet my dog from the shoulders back, and then yeah. I tap it on the head, and I let it go. Uh-huh. I let it figure out that that's a hot spot because it's got to learn its nose. Ah, to me. yeah. It's got to learn. Oh, that wasn't quite enough said for a bird. I understand. I didn't get that bird. I also, if there's a bird further up, and I have it in the launcher, and I go pet it, can't find the bird, I know where the bird's at, tap it on its head for its uh, release command to relocate. And if it gets too too close to the bird, bam, I fly the bird away and we'll yeah. walk away. Yeah. So it starts learning, oh, same thing. Even if he releases me, if I get too close to that bird, the bird goes bye-bye. So in normal circumstances, I will let the dog learn how to use its nose and how to relocate. Cause I'm going to relocate. So, you know, chucker hunting, sometimes you relocate two or three times. Um, and I want that dog to have confidence that it can, re- confidence yeah. it can yeah. relocate and go back on point. Now, if I'm in a test situation, totally different scenario, your dog is hyped up. It just saw a bird maybe take off or it's got its nose in the ground and it wants to get a bird. Now I might, go pet the bird, pet the dog, grab it by its collar, especially if a bird flushed someplace and turn it around and release it in the opposite direction. Cause I'm giving my dog a chance to calm down. I'm like, yeah. I call that rebooting yeah. my dog. Yeah. I'm like rebooting the computer. I'm trying to reboot my dog. So it's not fired up about the scent that it just had in its nose or the bird. It just saw fly away that we, we reboot it, start it in a different direction, turn it in a circle and then calm it, you know, calm it down. So that's a whole different scenario to me. That's that's great and, and very useful. Um, George DaCosta Jr. is the author of Tips and Tales on Training Your Bird Dog, now available at huntinggriff.com. That's where you learn everything about what George does in the way of training, clinics. You doing any breeding these days? I don't do any breeding, so to speak. I've got a couple contract dogs yeah, that, I, yeah. that I breed. I do my stud CK does a lot of okay. breeding. He's starting yeah. to time out. So I use lucky do, boy. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm getting to the age where breeding's breeding's hard. Um, at least it is on me. You know, you lose puppies and you yeah. have to take care of all the puppies and all that stuff. And I get pretty emotional about that stuff. And, and, like I said, I'm on the fourth quarter, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to do all the stuff that makes me uh, uh, not have to to be stressed or or deal with a lot of yeah. painful stuff. You know what I mean? So I do. Yeah, I I'm right there with you. I'm literally chronologically. So yes, indeed. Um, we got lots more to talk about. I want to talk about a day in the life of a pro dog trainer. We're going to do some more hunting tips we're going to talk a lot more about what's in the book and some equipment and then i'm going to help everybody with a diy project to keep your dog a little bit steadier out in the field when you're training that's all coming up after a quick break george you can put your foot up for put both of them up for a minute or two i'll bring you right back in just a moment okay we'll do uh we're brought to you in part by highvissites.com and you spell high h-i you spell viz, V-I-Z, 
highvizsites.com. See what you've been missing? They have magnetic screw attach and plain barrel sights for your shotgun. They'll fit most every shotgun on the market. I'm looking at a pile of a variety of sights right now, and I'm experimenting with all of them. Seem to be doing some real good for me. Uh, might do some good for you too. Now, uh, you know, depending on your shooting style and what you're trying to accomplish, different light pipes from Hi-Viz might be for you. They got all sorts of beaded sights, light pipe sights, tritium sights, you name it. Check them all out at HiVizSights.com. And uh, maybe you'll put one on your new pointer shotgun. Learn more about them at pointershotguns.com. I just, you know, luck or something has gotten me into a bunch of sponsors who all offer incredible service and warranties, including pointer shotguns. All their shotguns have a seven-year warranty. And they're available in various gauges, including down to the 16 and the 28s in case colored nickel various bluings and various Cerakote colors those side by sides are starting at 759 for a suggested retail price so shop around find somebody near you who can let you shoulder one of those new pointer side by side shotguns had them at the range last week did a pretty good job I'm loving them Maybe you will too. And welcome back, George DaCosta Jr. to the Upland Nation podcast. Uh, thanks again for sticking with us. You know, uh, a lot of people don't understand what you guys do on a day-to-day basis. So uh, describe what a a typical day looks like for a pro trainer. For me, I do session work with clients. I no longer take dogs in. So a little different than a lot of pro trainers that take dogs in. And I like that because, because when I, when I work with the dog and the person, then I know the dog is going to get the right stuff when it goes home. Yeah, um, yeah. Whereas, you know, you train a dog for a month or two and then you work with a person for an hour or so and then it goes home and three months later, the dog's pretty much back to where it was or can be. So I really enjoy session training. So um, I have clients come in from all over, Minnesota, Colorado, Wyoming. So depending on, and then I have all my local clients. Um, my day starts well before and ends way after uh, after the, the dog work because I have to deal with pigeons and chuckers and pheasants and, and irrigation and all the stuff. I have my own facility, my own gun dog ranch. And so I'm, I'm all constantly working on that, getting up early and doing whatever needs to be done there. When my clients show up, um, depending on what I have with the client, I could have a puppy starting out and, and I work with that client with introduction to everything. My sessions will last usually between 45 minutes to an hour and a half. It all depends on the pup or the dog. Yeah. I stop when it's right for the pup or the dog. It's not, we're going to do this or that. And my sessions, sessions kind of free flow. Like um, I will, I will do what 
is necessary for the dog to understand and move forward and I'll take it at the dog's pace. So yeah. like the other dog I had the other day, three days ago, I had a puppy come in and uh, did my normally my normal thing, get to know the puppy, you know, introduce it to a bird, so on and so forth. And went to introduce it to gunfire and I, I don't introduce gunfire with a with a bird. I do it with something else just in case there's a problem there. And and sure enough, dogs way out in the fields and we do a tour with the dog and the owner and I have a my friend he trains with me uh, Sherman Murray he shoots a 209 pistol and I can see the dog's gun sensitive um, or noise sensitive I should say yeah so the, yeah. the training changes right there you know what I mean we're going to take this slow we're going to do this we go back and forth so I will work with that puppy um, and do whatever it takes I will back off go further out do other things but anyhow um, my my next dog, you know, was a high strung setter, so we're trying to settle that dog down a little bit. Um, so my my day starts off working at the ranch, doing whatever needs to be done as far as changing irrigation, things of that nature, and then and dealing with birds, and then having clients come in, working with clients with ever whatever dog wherever that. I've worked with imitational dogs last year. Uh, from, all the way up to the imitational, both of them passed, luckily, and <laughs> and puppies, puppies that just come in, they haven't done anything, you know. So um, I I usually um, do sessions until I try to set my sessions up so that once it starts getting warm, um, we're done because it's too hard on the dog or the pup. Yeah, um, yeah. So the the day kind of dictates my timing, you know, the weather. I, I guess I should say the weather dictates my timing. We might have people coming in earlier. As it gets cooler, we can go a little bit later and things of that nature. Did I answer your question? Yeah, yeah, and, that, and it's, it's like everybody I talk to, whether they're running a lodge or they're they're a pro trainer, um, they're a mechanic, they're a farmer. Oh yeah, yeah. Then, then they have to train dogs after all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And my 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 uh, Treasure Valley NAFTA does a lot of testing and training at my facility and. There's a big test coming up right now at the end. I think it's August 25th, 6th, and 7th. And uh, uh, so I'm trying to get stuff cleaned up and, you oh, know, all that yeah. stuff. For the, and then I cut the fields a little different for the testing. And I cut the terrain on the on the pond a little diff different so that the dogs are enticed to go different areas and get, can get through the vegetation easier on the island. So, you know, there's a lot more work there than people people think. But the bottom line is, is it's all about doing well for the dogs and that's what i'm there for i'm there to, yeah. to help the dogs and and you know that's that's the bottom line on everything and i love it i absolutely love it well when when somebody comes in and i you know i remember the days when i was a you know a musician and we would have a uh, i would go to somebody for a session just like you're describing or they would come to me for one at you know at some point i got good enough for that how do you how do you relate to the human side of that team uh what do you see as the biggest challenges uh we all joke about training the trainer but what does that really mean from a practical standpoint for you oh boy that's a good question and again i always answer things with you know everybody's different and things of that that yeah, that nature yeah. but that's a great question i have people that come in that are like sponges they just listen and do it you know and then I have people that come in that think they already know it. And I wonder why they're here asking me. They already know, you know. And then I have people that are trying and they just, uh, they, they, they're just, 
they're just not getting it. And so again, I take things slow, a little bit slower for them. Um, uh, a lot of mistakes I see that people make is they talk too much. Yeah. That's a, you know, I think in the book I wrote, if I could use duct tape on some of the clients and I don't mean to, you know, be banging on anybody, but sometimes I just need a piece of duct tape to put it over their mouth and let their dog work, let their dog figure it out. You know, it's, it's, it's a smart dog and it's got a lot of natural instincts. You don't have to keep saying bird in here, bird in here. Where's the bird, you know, hunt him up, hunt him up. let the dog hunt. It knows what it's doing. Well, look, it's hunting. Be quiet. So I get a lot of that. I get a lot of um, mistakes like um, the, the, you shoot a bird or toss a throw bird and the puppy brings it up or the dog brings it back. And, and uh, first thing you want to do is take the bird away. And that's a huge mistake. You know, I have to say, no, 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 don't take the bird away. And I talk to them about that. And so <laughs> I'm kind of coaching them through that. Pet your dog, let it have fun with that bird. As long as it's not chomping, does it work, walk around? I usually have it on the lead on those first, first few birds. So I'm watching the human just as I'm watching the dog. And as corrections are needed or comments are needed, um, I, I implement them as we go through the session. And I try to, just like the dog, I try to, I told you, I, I, I use whatever technique works for the dog. I'm looking at the techniques that makes the dog understand and comply. I try before I ask it to comply. I, don't, I, don't, I, I want the dog to understand what I'm asking it to do before I ask it to comply. Once I know that it understands, then I can make it comply. Uh, with a human, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I'm trying to preempt a problem. I'm talking to them about, um, you know, not doing this or not doing that. Don't walk straight up behind your dog once it goes on point. Have you ever felt somebody walking up your back feels uncomfortable? And if it feels uncomfortable to the pup and it breaks, it's going to break all the way. It's going to go. So walk to the side so it sees you when it goes on point. So I'm talking them through the situations before the situation gets there most of the time. Um, and that helps with everything. And I think that's why I wrote the book. I won't get yeah. back to the start there. The, you know, they're saying, you know, you're telling me stuff when you're talking to me like like I'm your friend and explaining things to me so I understand and not letting me make a mistake and then and then and then yelling at me or saying, You're dummy, you do that, you're you're explaining it to me so that I understand it so hopefully I don't make the mistake. And if I do, then you're explaining to me what happened and why it's not good for the dog and in a in a in a manner that is uh diplomatic and, and calming and understanding and not, not, not a shot caller, not the six plus, you know? So um, that's how I'm working with clients. I, I hope that made sense to you. It, it does. And you know, the, the first time I wrote a book about this topic, I, 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 I said over and over again, people watch, just watch your dog. Think about what you're seeing. You, have you ever used those lines on like more than a few hundred of your customers over oh, there. <laughs> oh, oh yeah 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 just watch the the dog will the dog will show you so much it really and and i do that too by the way i'll see the dog make game on on i have a lot of young children that come to to work their dog and first time hunters and i'll say do you see the dog you know making game right now see the body language change yeah 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 i see what you're talking about yeah watch just watch that dog hey i'm going to mention something you said we're 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 on parallel lines and all that stuff. I'm also a musician. Oh, no um, kidding. <laughs> yeah. Grew up music. I'm from Hawaii. That was a big part of our culture. My dad was a professional musician for years. Oh, my God. Uh, when you go to our hunting camps, there's going to be music. My friend Bruce 
Colette, who I've hunted with for well over 40 years, he's a professional musician. His mom has a, his aunt has a few Grammys. And so anyhow, uh, that what we're doing is we're playing guitar and singing and having whatever whiskey or beer yeah. works well. And that, that the end of the day of our, of our camp hunting is a, uh, Music and fun and stories and, and uh, it's a kick in the butt. So anyhow, I, I thought that was interesting. I'm, so, I'm leaving a guitar in my new travel trailer, by the way. <laughs> I, always have, I always have one in my travel, travel yeah. trailer. Always, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and we have the same travel trailer. I know, it's so funny. And so, <laughs> so, so we will, somewhere in the Hawaii, we will get together soon. Um, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Yeah, I know that's another rabbit hole. Uh, but George DaCosta Jr., the author of the book, Tips and Tales on Training Your Bird Dog, he understands. Uh, okay, so what what style of music are you playing, George? Oh, I play a little bit of everything. A lot of country, Hawaiian yeah. music. I yeah. grew up Hawaiian. Yeah. Um, oldies. I like oldies because I I played with my father who played all you know the old uh, Sinatra and all that stuff. Oh um, yeah. I was a jazz drummer when I was young. I don't drum anymore, so okay. I was a jazz drummer. Um, oh, love it. Um, I, I like all pretty much all music. There's some that's a little too heavy and. And, and you know everybody has their own taste so, okay so have, so as a drummer you can appreciate this so how do you know when the stage is level how do you know when the stage is level the drummer drools out of both corners of his mouth oh god right. <laughs> okay ba- back to bird dogs and bird hunting yeah. <laughs> feel free to steal that you got a lot of gadgets and i'm going to talk after we break off i'm going to talk about a gadget that our our mutual friend bob ferris taught me about um but what are some of the things that you use on a you know regular basis that we may not have thought about now you mentioned the half hitch we all know about collars um is there anything else that that you find that you wear out that's how frequently you use it um well, everybody knows about launchers and all that stuff. I will say yeah. probably one thing that I don't see people use a lot, and we'll go back to steadiness, but I use this for duck search and stuff too, is I have a bolt. It's a large bolt, and it's got a, paracord, a paracord attached to it that's probably 25 feet long. Yeah. And I have like a hangman's noose at the end of it. Um, and so I slip that over the the bird's leg above the knuckle. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Not, not above the foot, but above the, the knuckle or elbow, yeah. or whatever yeah, they would be called. Yeah. yeah. And um, so when I'm doing steadiness drills, uh, you know, after we're launching the bird and saying, well, so on and so forth, and I get to where I want the, the dog to be steady when the bird's shot, we will toss that bird in the air from the ground or make it fly from the ground. And when it hits the end of that cord, I will have somebody shoot. It looks just like a bird was shot. Sure. So it flies up, yeah. hits into the cord, bam, and then it falls down. And you make your dog stay steady. So we do that a number of times um, to to get that dog used to seeing the bird ex- explode, right? Um, it kind of flies up, hits into the cord, bam, looks like it's shot, falls down. So that's I use that paracord for that. I also use it for, I'll grab it when the dog's standing there on the rope. And I've flushed a few birds. I'll take one of the birds out that's on a paracord, and I'll swing it around. Yeah. Make that bird swing around. And uh, I like the bolt because when the bolt, um, when the bird flies, when I do let the bird fly, it can kind of go just a little ways, but it does look like it's hit. I use yeah. plastic, uh, 
you know, cardboard and the plastic flight limiters and stuff. But the bird can fly too far. I like it to look like it's shot. Yeah. Um, and that's why I, I that's why I use that. And actually, you mentioned Bob Ferris. Bob Ferris is the one who showed me that he used lead lead uh, anchors for for geese or something on. Yeah, on, decoy uh, weights. I'll bet. Yeah, decoy yeah. weights. Yep, yeah. yep, exactly. Yeah. But I also use that for a lot more. I use it for that. I use it for warming around. When I start my duck search, I like the dogs to see um, the bird on the other side of the pond. So you bring the dog to one side of the pond and I'll go on the other side if I have my client with me and or an assistant trainer and I will have them set the dog down and I'll be on the other side and I will take the duck, have one wing clipped and I'll do the same thing. I will swing the duck around with that paracord. So that dog gets excited as heck. And then I'll toss the duck. So it splashes in the water splash. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have them and then I'll have them take the dog away. Take it out to the field. Get to the, so now it's going to be a marked retrieve, right? Yeah, yeah. So now I'll pull the duck back in with the paracord, drag it with the paracord to one side or the other, maybe do two, and then take the paracord off with the slip of hangman's noose and put the duck and I'll leave. And yeah. they'll bring, the, they'll bring the, the dog back. And now the dog knows there's a mark goes over there. It's not there and it has to do the track and find the bird. But that twirling it around with that paracord and then slapping it in the water out front of you and having the ability to pull it back in and drag it um, is kind of an, an added thing that some people may not be doing. So that little paracord with the bolt is a, is a, is a pretty good thing that I use a lot that yeah. maybe some folks aren't using. I don't know. No, that, to that's a great one. That, I've, <laughs> I've used, uh, over the years, I've seen other people as well use the, uh, what they call a pigeon pole. And it's basically the same idea, but it's a pole. You just jam it into the ground and the bird can fly at the top of the pole. It's tied off so it can fly that far. And that's, you know what that does? That keeps a lot of that cord from tangling in some of the heavy stuff that we got here. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a variation on the same thing. Uh-huh. How about on your on the hunting side? I, I, uh, you know, if you were to you know dig into your vest and find one thing in there that maybe we did not think about, what but we probably ought to bring along with us. Uh, what, what would you suggest? Well, I'm the guy that carries a bunch in his vest. I'm the guy that you know people don't carry anything but shotgun shells sometimes in their vest. But when something happens, they're coming to me. So yeah. a couple of things <laughs> that I that I have is I have a. I have uh, Q-tips for yeah. pulling stuff out of the dog's eyes. Yep. I open up oh, the yeah. dog's eyes and pull it up. So those are light and the Q-tips. I carry a little a hemostat that's about the size of my palm, maybe yeah. a little little bit longer. Um, and I do that for sometimes you'll see be able to see cheek grass or something inside of a dog's ear. And yeah. uh, I get my dogs used to me cleaning their ears and doing stuff with their ears anyway. And you mm-hmm. can reach down there and 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 grab that. So. I would say most people that I hunt with don't have the Q-tip in their vest, and most of them don't carry a little hemostat in their vest. So that's probably two things that somebody might not be carrying. And if you hunt yeah. chucker country, you know, it's, I, usually my dogs go in three times a year for getting oh god fox tail or cheatgrass out of someplace, <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. The other, excuse me? Absolutely. I, I, I know the feeling. Um, the other thing I carry that probably most people don't carry, and this is in my, in my, in my car, um, I carry a full first aid kit, and I have a YouTube channel that has a whole bunch of stuff on it. And one of them Great. is the first aid kit. I go through my first aid, I aid kit, 
there's a there's an otoscope you can buy. And again, I get my dogs used to me going into their ears and doing stuff. And the otoscope is is made for for vets, I think. I'm not sure. At the top of the otoscope, it has a, a split where you can you can stick a alligator hemostat down and grab something. So that's in my car many times when I get back to the car and I can't see something, I'll shove the otoscope in my dog's ear, have somebody hold them by the muzzle head, give them the woe command, and I'll see it down there and I'll be able to reach down. And I'm not advising people to do this. I'm just telling you what I do. Yeah. I can reach down there and grab it. But my dogs are used to it. My dogs are used to me working with their ears and doing that kind of stuff. And many times that has saved me a, a, a trip to the vet in the evening or what have you, or a punctured ear that, mm-hmm. that, that it works down there and hits because you leave it in overnight. So that's something that probably most people don't carry and, that I do. And of course, I have a staple gun and all that stuff in there too. So. Yeah, in fact, there's a great um, list uh, starting on page 23, I think, uh, uh, of all the stuff in your kit. Uh, there's so much in this book, we need to do this all again. But in the meanwhile, uh, the t- title of the book again tips and tales on training your bird dog george DeCosta jr is the author learn more about the book and what else george is doing at huntinggriff.com george um if you're going to leave us with one aspect of of bird dog training that um you know the the stuff that we want to put above the door of the the kennel as we're going to we're going to touch it with our hands every time before the game what would you tell us? If it's not working <laughs> and you're starting to and you're starting to feel frustrated or upset, stop. Yeah. Start over another time because it's gonna do no good for the dog and no good for you, and it's not gonna be a good situation. So sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. Do what works for the puppy or dog. And if it's not working, you're getting frustrated, stop. Stop and start over another time. It's it's not going to benefit either one of you. It's probably really not going to benefit that pup. Uh, you know, I see so many people get frustrated and they try to train while they're frustrated or they're upset or it's not working. And it's not. It seems like a weird one to throw out there. No, nope. I just have seen what it does. You know? uh, no, I'm um, in total agreement. Absolutely right. Keep up the good work. <clears throat> Maybe I will see you and your guitar. Just don't bring a snare drum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that I won't. Although I have a, I have some bongos and other stuff. Uh, oh, bongos, but, uh, <laughs> I love it. Great, George DeCosta. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Upland Nation podcast. Have a great day. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You bet. And don't you go away. We're going to talk about that DIY project to help your dog with steadiness in the field. That's the joy of it. It's all coming up. Right after a couple messages, the first one from sageandbreaker.com, gun cleaning and care, including their brand new bore, man, am I, I'm so stoked, bore cleaning solvent. Yeah, there. if you shoot a lot at the range, and I've been doing it lately, I've been using a lot of that bore cleaning solvent, um, just to kind of start the process, then go to one of the snakes that they make for you at sageandbreaker.com, as well as transport, cleaning, gunsmithing gear, you name it, they got it at sageandbreaker.com. And when you're cleaning, of course, you're cleaning your choke tubes as well. And I like my True Lock choke tubes, T R U 
L-O-C-K, truelockchokes.com. Big news, if you're a dove hunter, they have created a standard for dove chokes that is slightly different than anything else you'll have out there, specifically to tighten the exit diameter and improve pattern density on those kind of, the you know, the we'll call them the promotional shot shells that you use a lot of times for dove hunting. You know, the eight and nine dollar box <laughs> shells. This will help you. And they got it in 20 gauge now to learn more about their new dove chokes at truelockchokes.com. Well, this week on the Handle It segment, um, a, a product that you can make at home. In fact, I'm <laughs> Why anyone would try to sell it is beyond me. But uh, again, thanks to Bob Ferris for starting this off. And thank you, Delmar Smith, and then Rick and Ronnie Smith after that for kind of taking it to the next level. Um, This is uh, what some people will call a half hitch. Some people will call it a gut hitch, but it's portable. By portable, I mean your poor dog doesn't need to drag a whole check cord with him as he's in the field and I've been using this with Flick every once in a while as I introduce another level of steadiness challenge. It is a half hitch that he can carry with him if you will. You need about three feet of um, oh, pretty hefty cord not, uh, not quite check cord you know quarter inch uh, tent guy line cord would be nice. Um, you're going to put a bowline on each end and holding the bowline uh, will the, the bowline will be holding a snap swivel on each end. Then you just click one snap swivel into the dog's uh, lead, you know, the D-ring on his collar. Take the other end, bring it back, wrap it around his waist, clip that swivel snap to the cord, and poof. He can still run around, but when he does hit a point or you order him to woe, you've basically got a half hitch that you can just walk over, pick up like a suitcase handle. In fact, some people will even call it that. Simple to make. It kind of frees up your dog a little bit. It's the next step after a check cord with a half hitch on it. Uh, Bob Ferris calls it the gut hitch, and I understand why. I've got pictures of it in my books. I've got pictures of it on the website, finebirdhuntingspots.com. It sure makes life simple for you when you're training that next level. Hopefully, you graduate from it fairly quickly, but for a while there, it is absolutely the best thing that you will use to steady your young dog. And here's some big news. If you are shopping for a shotgun, don't neglect the internet, especially midvalleyclays.com. In addition to a massive inventory of new Browning shotguns, there's a rebate program going on. So take a look at up to 75 bucks off one of your new Browning shotguns, everything from the Satori to the Maxis to the BPS, no matter your shooting style or your preference. Call and ask for details. Get all the information you need at midvalleyclays.com. Well, thanks, George DaCosta Jr. 
for all the insights and advice and watch out I'll have somebody tune my guitar. Maybe we'll get together sometime in the Hawaii this year. If you want to learn more about huntinggriff.com and all the things that George is doing, that's the place. And if you will, please tell one person about this podcast. That's how we grow. I appreciate all your comments at the social platforms. Those of you who take the listener surveys in the newsletter, sure am grateful for all of your support and comments. I'm also thankful that we have such great sponsors, sageandbreaker.com, pointershotguns.com, proplansport.com, midvalleyclays.com, and truelockchokes.com. Until I see you in the field, I'll probably bump into you at the range. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation Podcast.